ask you all just to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 91. But most of us know Psalm 91, but let me read it for us quickly. Psalm 91. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Thousands shall fall at your side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eye shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, which is your refuge, even the most high your habitation, there shall no evil befall you, neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon, shalt thou trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high. Because he hath known my name, he shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Praise God. Now the title of this message is Avoiding Calamity. Avoiding Calamity. And it really burns on my heart because in our community just recently there's been so much calamity. Just the other day a young man commits suicide. Totally unnecessarily he takes his life. At, at you know, just a moment he's about to write his matric. Mind you, I think a lot of us thought of that when we write a trick. But, you know, he actually did it and it's just snuffed out his life. And then we have all these car accidents that are happening. Some went to another funeral. A little boy and his brother rode into a big truck and instantly killed. Another accident Mandy was telling me about just the other day, you know, children dying in the schools, all over. Tragedy, tragedy, tragedy. Down in Natal recently, this massive truck plows into three minibus taxis, killing over 20 people instantly, just like that. And that's one. And there was another one of the same stretch of road in the same week. It's happening all the time. Calamity, calamity, calamity. Now, the point I want to make, and this is so important to understand, as children of God, there is no need why our lives should be affected by calamity. There's no reason why any calamity should come upon us. There's no reason why you and I should experience tragedy. Now you say this in some circles and immediately they say, oh no, here we go. This is one of these faith nuts. Well, they're right. This is one of these faith nuts. But we have to read the Bible. We have to read the Bible. Now, Please understand something. The Bible is full of promises. There's over a thousand promises, apparently. I haven't have counted them. I just know that the few I do know are so all-embracing that you think you don't need any more. But there are thousands of promises in the Bible. Now, my question is this. Because you and I become Christians, do all those promises suddenly become real? Listen very carefully. When you and I become Christians, do all of those promises now operating our lives? The answer is yes and no. They are all available. If they are not available, you are saying God is a liar. Is God a liar? Tell me something. Is God a liar? No. However, please, and this is the most important thing to understand. This is something that somehow they seem to pass the church by. It's made all our theology so twisted. The point is, the promises are available to you and I as soon as we are Christians. However, however, with every promise, there is a condition. There is a condition. Terms and conditions apply. Terms and conditions apply. Now you see what happens to us Christians. We bumble into Christianity as human beings, and they were not taught this, you see. So now we're a Christian. Now that's wonderful. We say, everybody's got that right. You go to heaven. Wonderful. Praise God, I'm going to heaven. But you see, the problem is, heaven is only going to happen later on. There's a whole lot of living that's got to take place now. You and I weren't saved just to get to heaven. As I said so many times. 
Were that the case, the best thing any evangelist can do is as soon as he's got so many people saved, he says, okay, guys, go out there. As they go out there, there's firing squad that mows every one of them down, sends them straight to heaven, doesn't give them a chance to backslide. Now, does that make sense? No, of course not. We've got to live on this earth. And God has actually made provision for you and I to live successfully on this earth for the purpose primarily of not only just enjoying being saved ourselves, but getting other people saved. That's so important. But now you see, God has given us so many promises. But with every promise, there is a condition. So I get saved. Nobody teaches me about the condition. I'm reading my Bible. I'm seeing all these wonderful things I'm supposed to have. But the reality is I'm not having them. Now what happens? I start thinking to myself, well, maybe the Bible's not reliable. Or maybe I'm not really saved. I'm not doing enough. Or maybe I'm not holy enough. Or maybe this, or maybe that. And very often what happens is, because things consistently don't go right, people give up and they say, oh, well, Christianity. And in our day and age, a lot of young people are saying, Christianity is basically for the birds. Like Tim was saying, go to a funeral and get all these people dressed up funny, swinging this thing around, looks like a handbag's on fire. Bells and smells. I mean, for heaven's sake. Don't find that in the Bible. Don't find that there. Now, this is what it's come to. That won't help you. What will help? I'll tell you what will help. Knowing what the promises are, but knowing what the conditions are. Fulfill the conditions and the promises are yours. Do you know something? In the Bible it says, with long life I will satisfy you. That's what it says. Now, does God say that and say, but you never know when you're going to get taken out? Is that God for you? But there are conditions. To live a long life, I've got no right to just go and live as I please. Oh, God's going to satisfy me with long life. I can smoke 40 cigarettes a day, can drink three bottles of Jack Daniel a day, can drive my car at over 150 kilometers an hour on the highway after the Jack Daniels, and, you know, God will look after me. With long life, he will smash. Where was God? Now, you see, you and I have got to understand something. God offers us protection in the Bible, but there are conditions. There are conditions, and we have to understand the conditions. The duty of the body of Christ is to teach us the conditions so that none of us sitting here needs to go home and think, oh, I don't know when I'm going to have an accident. I don't know when I'm going to be killed by cancer. I don't know when this age of mine is going to collapse. I don't know if my child's going to get into drugs. I don't know if my daughter's going to get pregnant. All these tragedies will pass us by if we follow the conditions. So it's our job, as powerfully as we can, as boldly as we can, as clearly as we can, announce the condition. God himself says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. In other words, God's protection is there if, what? If we dwell in the secret place. Now, if you read that, and you go, that's a very nice little sort of sounding poetry. Put it on a bumper sticker. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is poetic and it's very beautifully written. Amen. But it is not just poetry. It's practical advice. Practical advice. You and I can avoid calamity if we follow the conditions. So what are the conditions? Let me give you seven of them. The seven conditions I'm going to mention. First of all, know what God says. It's worth writing down. It's worth writing down. Know what God says. You see, what has the devil done in our thinking? He's twisted our thinking. Get people saying, oh, you never know what God is going to do. There was a church we belonged to. There was a certain elder. Every time they asked him to pray, he'd go, oh, no, here we go again. Because he'd get up and he'd start saying, the sanctimonious look would come over his face. God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. In other words, you never can tell what God is going to do. It could happen to you at any time. You see? Now let me tell you something. That is not what the Bible says. Are you hearing me this morning? If that is what the Bible says, when you read Psalm 91, you've got to read it this way. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide on occasion under the shadow of the Almighty. If it can't tell what God's going to say. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge on occasion, when He feels like it. And my fortress on some days, but not other days. My God, in him I will sort of trust. You understand? If we have this mentality, you never know what God's going to do, you have to water the Bible down. And the moment you and I start to water down one psalm, what does that mean for the rest of the Bible? 
We might have to water that down as well. The Bible speaks with one voice. When Jesus was on the boat with his disciples in the middle of Lake Galilee, this mighty storm blew up. This mighty storm blew up. Now, let me tell you something. In the insurance industry, you can get insured against what human kind calls an act of God. Our minds have been so twisted that a calamity is now an act of God. So Jesus, does he say on the boat, when this mighty storm comes up, he says, don't be troubled. You never know what God is going to do. My disciples, this is probably an act of God. And then the gospel will be cut short there. And Jesus and his disciples drown. Does it say that? Does it say that? Did Jesus bow down to calamity when it came his way? Yes or no? No. He said to the storm, be still. Know what the Bible says. The truth is, you and I don't have to put up with tragedy or calamity in our lives if we know the conditions. The first condition is to know what God says. And God says, with long life, I will satisfy you. God says, with long life, I will satisfy you, but I might just cut it short, because you know what? Some days I don't feel so good. Does he say that? What are we doing adding that in? When calamity comes our way, now we've got to explain it if we don't understand the truth. Oh, you never know what God's going to do. God give us, and God take us away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, it wasn't the Lord that took away in the first place. So make sure which Lord you're talking about. So number one, know what the Bible says. Who's very quiet on me here. This message has got to get out strength fast because we cannot handle any more of this death taking place around us. Least of all in our midst. It's not going to happen yet. It's not going to happen yet. Why? Because we know. Number one, it's not God's plan to snuff you out early. It's not God's plan for tragedy to come your way. God's plan is for us to have life and life more abundantly. The devil comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. We all got that clear. That's the starting place. But that's not the only condition. Number two is this. We need to develop our faith in what God has said. Every single promise of God operates on the basis of faith. If you believe it, you can have it. It's that simple. Not easy to believe it, but you see, we have to know what God says and we have to develop our faith in what God has said. How do you and I practically develop our faith in what God has said? Well, very simply, we keep on rehearsing to our own minds what God thinks about it. Faith comes from hearing the word. Amen? Faith comes from hearing the word. We continue developing our faith in the fact that God is our protection. We keep developing our faith in it. It's not something you can do one day and then half off the next day. It's very much like an insurance policy. You take out life insurance, part of the policy is you must pay the premiums every month. Now, if you've got the life cover and you neglect to pay the premiums for three months and then you darken the family claim, it's no longer available. The promise is there, but we have a responsibility to develop our faith in it. How do we develop our faith in it? Continue in my word. Continually finding out what God says about it. There are other ways of developing our faith. Do you know what our protection is based on? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus protects us. You and I need to continually be exercising faith in the blood of Jesus. We do that regularly in this church. Christians speak about pleading the blood. Well, there's no phrase in the Bible which says pleading the blood. But really what we're doing is we're applying the blood. And because there's no physical blood to apply to spiritual things, we have to apply it with our voice, with our tongue. We, we speak it, we confess it, we speak the blood. So pleading the blood is the whole teaching on its own. It's not wrong to do. But when you now plead the blood of Jesus, we cover ourselves in the blood. What are we doing? We are developing our faith in the protection God has made available. You see? Let me just say this. We do it as a church regularly. When we pray, we pray for everybody. As a family, feed the blood of Jesus over yourself and your family all the time. Continually, continually doing it. And you know what? When you and I do that, God is able to protect us without us even knowing it. By paying that insurance policy, and because of that, we're always covered. We're always covered. We're always covered. Another way of applying the blood is with the communion. I mean with the communion. When we take communion, what are we doing? Exercising faith in what God has done. The covenant we have with God, you see. We have to know that God's made a covenant. Part of that covenant is protection. We're entitled to claim it. But we must develop our faith in it. That's why we have communion very often in the church. 
And I encourage you, as a family, take communion regularly. If you're going on a long journey, make this a habit. Before you go on the long journey, take communion. Before, see the blood of Jesus on the road, and when you get the other side, thank Him and have communion again. There's no rule which says you can only have it once a day. You have it as many times as you like. What are you doing? Every time we take communion, we are in a sense paying that insurance policy. We are building up our faith for protection. And you never know when you're going to use it. The truth of the matter is, because you do it regularly, God protected you very often without you even knowing about it. I'll just share two examples. I was in a war at one stage. I was a useless soldier. But anyway, I happened to find myself in this war. And in this war, part of the methodology was to plant landmines. A landmine is a terrible thing because you can't see it. All you know is that you found it once the thing is detonated. To follow the instruction one day for me and my brigade, a bunch of rebels that had to try and coast through the bush. But there we had to clear this road, you see. So I'm in the front in this van, my protected vehicle, and I'm driving merrily along, yeah? And all of a sudden, I hear behind me this massive explosion. Boom! Only to discover that the vehicle, no, behind me, detonated a boosted landmark. Now, how do you work that on a narrow road? You drive, and you don't detonate it, but the person behind you does. The other difference was, in the back of my vehicle, was all of these mortar shells. So, if I'd gone up, guess what? Graham would be busy right now, fertilizer, 80 to 50 kilometers somewhere in the regions and Zimbabwe countryside. God protected me! Amen? I never knew anything about it. Only options, obviously. Another incident here with the patrol. Now, we heard that there's a whole gang of these this crowd coming to shoot at the village where I live. So we all, gung-ho, we get into a patrol. Off we go, looking for these guys, you see. Only to discover when we got home that the police also knew about this gang. They set up an ambush for them. So guess who merrily walked into the middle of their ambush that they set up for them? And they told us they were just about to open fire with all these MAGs, etc., etc., which actually make mincemeat of anything they touch. But they saw a little red badge. Who do you think was wearing a hat with a little red badge on that particular day? Me. God protected me. There was another occasion. See, I was bringing you home from school, right in our society. I was bringing you home from school before I left. I felt, now I must stop. There's something I must get from the classroom. I went back. It delayed us about 10 minutes. 10 minutes. It delayed us by 10 minutes. Do you know on the way back? Third of the way there, there was a robot. There was a mighty accident, which had happened 10 minutes before we got there. Past the SPCA, there was another incident. There was a person lying, a police incident, a person lying dead on the road, which happened 10 minutes before. When you got home there, there had been a hijacking outside our home, which happened. The devil had set us up for three occasions to try and interfere with our lives. But the blood of Jesus covered us. Did I wake up in the morning and God told me, oh, they're going to go for you? No. You see, we're paying our insurance policy. So number two, please, we have to continually, continually, the focus is on continually, develop our faith in what is ours. That protection is so important to continually, continually develop our faith in it. Every promise of God works by faith. Number three, use your common sense. Use common sense. Let me just read a scripture from the Bible here. In the book of Proverbs, this is what it says here. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. Proverbs 22 verse 3. In fact, that scripture is repeated twice. If God repeats something word for word twice, what is he trying to say? Trying to get your attention. But let me read it again. A prudent man. In other words, somebody that just used a bit of the God-given brain that we have. Sees problems. Sees the problem. And before it happens, he hides himself. He avoids it. But the fool, the simple just passes on and gets punished. Just gets punished. How many people have got into trouble and they can't even blame God because they think back and think, how could I have been so stupid? I know a man who heard a story about this man who takes his daughter at the age of 17 from here in Pretoria to a rave over there in Johannesburg and he drops her off in the presence of men that are older than her and all of them holding a beer in his hand. And he prides himself apparently on the fact that his daughter, she's able to look after herself and he is very open-minded. The man is a fool. The man is a fool. And if his daughter gets into big, big trouble, whose fault is it? Simple intelligence will tell you. Parents, children grow from this age to this. They get older. They grow up. 
you and I are responsible not to put them in positions where they cannot handle it. I remember one of our daughter, friends in Barcelona, very good people, I assume, very well-to-do people. They said, well, she come and stay over with us. You see, the whole story. And I said, no. Why did you say no, Graham? I'll tell you why I said no. They got so offended by them. They thought, oh, we're not good enough for you. Why did I say no? The reason I said no is because I didn't know them. You understand? That stage of her life, she wasn't in a position where she could have defended herself. She could have found herself at an age where she's not able to do anything in a compromising situation. And all it takes, brothers and sisters, is 10 minutes in that situation and the whole life can be destroyed. Common sense tells you, foresee the evil and just take the necessary preventative measures. Now the other one, it says that the simple believes every word. The prudent just watches well to his going. The foolish just believes every word. How many people do you know? Somebody comes up with a deal. Invest your money with us and we guarantee interest between 30 and 45 percent. There's scams like this all over the place. Now the fool believes it. Why? Because he wants to believe it. Wow, you know, I'm going to be rich quick. But I mean, it doesn't take too much intelligence to realize if somebody's onto a good thing, why share it with the rest of the world? Just make your money yourself, you understand? Don't spoil it. How many people have put their money into something like that and discovered what? You know, the favorite scam is this. Oh, you've won a competition. Attach some big corporate company's name to it. Sony International or something like that. You've won through the internet. You've won a competition. There's, how much is it? 850,000 British pounds waiting for you. Waiting, just waiting for you. Send us your details. You send the details a few days later. To activate this wonderful, wonderful reward, we need three or four thousand rand. Three or four thousand rand. Just put it in this account and the money is yours, in your account. How many people have fallen for that? Really? And as the fool believes what he hears. But what is the prudence? He thinks, well, no, really. Put your money in that account and guess what? The people that we're hounding you every day suddenly, go on with your two or three thousand rand. Common sense, brothers and sisters, will save you and I from a lot of trouble. So there is a place in the kingdom of heaven to use common sense. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean giving leave and getting rid of your intelligence. We have to be wise. So just be prudent about these things. Foresee the evil. Don't give your son at the age of 80 a souped-up sports car. A souped-up sports car. The need for speed. Kids have a need for speed. There's a set of parents we know from Tim School that to this day are regretting that very, very, very decision they made. Let me tell you, their son had a souped-up sports car at the age of 80, and he thought he could overtake on the highway right nearby where he lived and went straight into a big truck. Boom! Killed himself and a friend. That father, I can tell you to this day, is regretting the fact that he thought he was doing his son a favor. He should have just given him a second-hand VW that sort of like got him over the hill. Would have been a laugh today. Do you understand? There is a place in the kingdom of heaven for simple, common things. Let's move on. Know the language of the Holy Spirit, number four. Number four, know the language of the Holy Spirit. Know the language of the Holy Spirit. My sheep hear my voice. Hear that voice behind you, as in the book of Isaiah it says, this is the way, walk ye in. We have to cultivate an ability to hear the voice of the Lord. Staying in the secret place of the Most High involves hearing His voice. Being in that secret place talks about being so close to Him that we hear His voice. You see, and when you and I are hearing His voice, we are positioning ourselves for God to warn us. Think of the three wise men. They came looking for Jesus, passing forth and saying the Messiah has come, not realizing that the king of that particular part of the world had a major inferiority complex. And the one thing a leader with an inferiority complex does not like to hear is what? That he's got competition. So here it is here, and he tells the king, come and tell me where he is. Come and tell me. When you found him, come and tell me. I'm interested. I'm interested. This is great news. What happened? Three wise men found him, and they were wise. Note. And what happened? God warned them in a dream. These men had a dream. And they said to each other, this king wants us to go back to him. Not going to happen. Bye. We're out of here. Because they did that, the Bible doesn't say the three wise men went to Herod and all locked their heads. Does it say that? Then we would have said, the three wise men became foolish 
We're back to heaven and not to hell. What made the difference? They heard God, the Lord Jesus, his parents. In a dream, you see, God speaks very often in pictures, in dreams. We encourage people here to listen to your dreams. Not every dream, as you know, is from God. But listen to them. Learn how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. There's protection in that. There's protection. It's quite conceivable. You go home a certain route every single day, and this has actually happened to people. And one day, on their way home, the Holy Spirit says, Don't go that way. Go another. Go another. So they obey and they go another, only to discover that on that highway there was a shooting incident that they would have been involved in, and they avoided it, you see. Learning to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's something we've got to cultivate. You see, protection is dependent on being guided. Being guided. It's dependent. If you think, oh, well, God's protecting me, so I can just carry on doing my thing because I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm covered. I'm fine. I'm fine. My mother's praying for me. Well, thank God if your mother is praying for you. But there does come a time when you and I have got to take responsibility and hear God for ourselves. So you see, this protection is available, but we must hear from God. It is a condition. It's conditional. Number five, in connection, there's protection. In connection, there's protection. In connection, there is protection. To be protected by God, you and I have to be in connection with the body of Christ. Not an optional extra. Let me tell you, the standard procedure of the devil is to separate and desecrate. How's that? Spoke to a friend, came to our church. Remember, he was a herd boy at one stage in his life. And he said, when the wild dogs come for the goats, they always go for the one that's on its own, the stagger. Common sense. Let me tell you, in the body of Christ, there is protection. It's, in a sense, part of this protection racket. As a church, we pray for everybody regularly. We plead the blood of Jesus over everybody regularly. In a sense, your protection premiums are being paid for by somebody else. That's a good deal, don't you think? Let me tell you, it's also possible in the body of Christ to make ourselves available to hear God's voice. Sometimes you and I are so centered on what we are doing, so focused on what we are doing, we miss the point. You have to have somebody else from the outside to say, listen, what you're doing is wrong. You need help. Because they can see it from a different dimension. Also, this whole business with God speaking. Very often, people in the church have had dreams. The one person's dream applies to somebody else. Listen to the children's dreams. Might not be for your family, but it might be for somebody else. Share the dream. He was one man of God in America, very well-known man of God. And over a period of, I think, about three months, different people, Different people came and said to him, the devil wants to destroy your family. And he had the greatness of heart to listen to them. They had dreams, they had words. So he got all the elders together and they prayed about it. The family got together, they made an issue. They prayed about it. Please understand something. When God warns you about something, it's not to say that it's going to happen. That's another lie that the devil put. In our community, a terrible incident. This well-known lady Living quite close to us, there was a break-in and she gets raped. Afterwards, what does she say to everybody? I had a dream. God warned me, so I was ready for it. Really? Really? Imagine the father, this child's going to have an accident because they're both loose on the car, the wheel. He says to his son, I didn't tell you because it's one of those things. How stupid. What was that about? God was warning her. When you have a dream, a negative dream, it's not God prophesying that it's going to happen. It is a warning. If we take the necessary action, it won't happen. It's as simple as that. Look at the dear old story of Jonah. Jonah gets told to warn Nineveh. Now apparently he went in the belly of a whale and all the gastric juices, he came out, his pigment was shiny white. So it was like an apparition. A typical story, a man told you know, east he goes west, but God had a way of getting him to change his mind. So eventually he goes to Nineveh and he preaches. He had a whale of a time, and I must say, with that sort of luminescent sort of pigment, he must have been quite impressive. Eh? The long and the short of it is the people of Nineveh heard him. They heard him. They repented. You know what God did? He withheld the destruction. And old Jonah got complaining. He said, I told everybody it's going to happen. Now it doesn't have to take me out. That's God's heart. God sent him to warn them, not so that it would happen, to try and prevent it from happening. Let's get the Bible in our brains. God warns about things. When he warns, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. It just means take preventative action, pray about it. And anyway, what happened with this man? They prayed about it. The day came, he was working in his tool shed or in the garage, and his little grandson, I think, 
was just about to go out about five years old, and the heavy door was just about to fall on him, and he managed to just catch it in time. If that door hit the child, probably been mentally brain damaged or even killed. They were warned about it, they prayed, and God was able to warn him in time. There's protection in connection. Protection in connection. Don't let the devil pepper at you. Because if he does, now wolf meat. Wolf meat. So there was a case where somebody was thinking of a business deal another part of Africa, and Tim had a dream, and we were able to tell him about it, and that warned him not to get involved. That's it. It's happening all the time. It should be happening more and more. There's no reason why you and I should just blindly go into something without being warned, if we're connected. But if you're all on your own, guess what? Sitting down. And then you say, where's God? Where's God? Why is this happening to me? Not going to happen here. The next thing is, know your calling. Know your calling. I can never say this enough. Listen, in Romans 8 verse 28, it says, We know that all things work together for good. Now, most Christians stop there. Oh, I'm a Christian. Everything works together for good. My husband's got cancer. The business has gone to pot. The children are rebelling. It's all working for good. Is that God now? Is that all working for good? No. God works all things for good to them that love him to them who are called according to his purpose. In other words, the moment you and I are in our calling, guess what? The devil can't touch you. There are examples throughout the Bible. Paul the Apostle, he knew exactly what God had told him to do. He moved into it. He was going for it, and they couldn't kill him. They could not kill him. They stoned him to the extent where he actually left his body, but he came back because he wasn't finished. He went back into the village to do what he had to do. They beat him with rods. One of those scourgings, you weren't supposed to survive it. But he went through three of them. They beat him with rods. He treaded water for a whole day and a night in the sea. You try and tread water for an hour. I tell you what, my friends, you find out that it's not easy. He went through all of that. But the devil could not stop him. Why? He knew what he was called to do. And he was in the middle of his calling. And Paul the Apostle came to the place where he said, I don't know whether I should go or whether I should stay. In other words, the choice was his. But it's better for me to stay to help you. I know what's up there. I want to go there. Can you see? That's the way to live. If you and I, uh, you might say, well, I'm not in my calling. Well, none of us are in the middle of our calling, but you know what God's saying? Start moving towards it. Make a decision. If you make a decision, I'm going to fulfill my calling, and I'm going to start now. Start moving towards it now. The moment you do that, guess what? You become invincible. If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you understand it? If you are on God's business, who's backing you up? It's simple, isn't it? If you and I know we're on God's business, who's behind us? Uncle G, with a big G. Plus his angels, of which one can take out 180,000 skilled, armed, mighty warriors overnight. So you need, really, you don't need more than one. Elisha, with his servant Gehazi, and they come, the Syrian army comes to take him out, and the servant goes out and looks surrounded by all these troops, and he starts to panic. I would have panicked as well, but now I'm going to get taken out. So he goes and wakes up the prophet, the prophet, so you can get the picture. He yawns, oh, don't worry about that. Really? They don't worry about it. And the servants say, what? Don't worry about it. I mean, these guys are vicious. They want to kill us. No, 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 no. Lord, open his eyes. Greater are those that are with us than those that are against us. In other words, you saw the host of heaven. But you see, the prophet was in the middle of God's will. If you are not in God's will, as a Christian, you're in a very dangerous position. There's no guarantee. You know, that's the truth. Kenneth Hagin himself, he once disobeyed God very slightly. You might say, this is a great man of God living a holy life, everything, and he had an accident. He fell off the stage, I think he hurt his hand. God took the time to teach him a lesson there, but he had to move from one area of the ministry to the next. God is saying to him, you're not in my perfect will. You're in my acceptable, not my perfect will. The moment you know the devil injured him, but he was allowed to walk because the man had willingly wandered off. So what am I saying? You want protection, what's the condition? Find out what God wants you to do. And it might not be to preach to the rest of Africa. Whatever he wants you to do, find out and get into it. Know that you're doing what he wants you to do. And guess what? Nobody can stop you. I'm not going until I'm finished. I'm not going until I'm finished. I'm not worried about anything. I really don't spend two seconds of my life worrying that I might get some disease. What a way to live. What a way to live. Praise God. And it's for everybody. This whole protection record is conditional. Number seven, walk in the light. We've got to hear this message. We need to walk in the light. Walk in the light. Now the Bible says that a curse without cause cannot alight. But they put it this way. There are buzzers out there. These big dark things that want to get you and I. 
But you know something? If they haven't got a branch in which they can sit, they are powerless. They are powerless. A curse without cause cannot alight. In other words, if you and I are walking in the light, does that mean that we have to be with completely without sin? No, all of us sin from time to time. That's not the issue. But please, the issue is this. Keep very short accounts with God. Keep short accounts. The moment it's happened and you've broken his rules and you know it, go back to him and get it right. Walk in the light. Don't let the enemy have a foothold. Don't let the enemy have a foothold. Walk in the light. My brother, my sister, those are seven things, but I haven't finished yet. There's something else I've got to do, and it's very, very important. You might say to me, listen, that's all very good and well, but you've come preaching this to me too late. The tragedy has already happened. That is the predicament of many people. Now please, we must understand something. If tragedy has come our way, it doesn't mean that God is finished with us. Now I'm just going to give seven little pointers. Once again, seven. I love the number seven. Somehow it all seems to tie. If you and I have had a situation where calamity has come your way, this is a surefire recipe to get back on track. It's not the end of the world. You see, a person might say to me, you talk about this tragedy business, but I didn't have a choice to avoid it. It just came upon me when I was born. Say, for example, you're bored with a curved spine, spine of the feet, as it's called. Some other tragedy has come your way. God's heart is not to hold the tragedy against you and to make it miserable for you for the rest of your days. God has a plan. So just as important as it is to know how to avoid tragedy, just as important, the other side of the coin is because if we leave it there, a lot of people will feel so frustrated because they think, well, I didn't know this and now I'm in me. It's not the end of the world. So I need to just say this. Please bear with me. I know I'm going on a bit long, but it's very important. There are seven steps to turn this tragedy that might have happened around. But the point is, don't wait for the tragedy to happen before you try and turn it around. Obviously, prevention is better than cure. So don't say, oh, well, there's a way out, I can just carry on. Don't let it happen. Number one, in this whole process, the most important thing is don't blame God. The devil's trick in our day and age is to get some mealy-mouthed preacher to come and say, you never know what God's going to do. And it might sound all very cozy, but you know what happens? You think to yourself, God did this to me? And I don't know about you, but if your father does something like that to you, what are you going to think of your father? You might coat it over with very nice religious terminology, but at your heart, heart, you hate it. It's difficult to get rid of it. So don't blame God. The person who caused this is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It is not an act of God. We have to get that very clear in our brain. So it's not going to help you to blame God. Do not Blame the Father who loves you. You might say, oh, he let it happen. Well, that's a whole debate on its own, but it's not really true. It could have been prevented, and not necessarily by you, so you're not necessarily responsible. God's not in the blame game, you understand. In fact, God couldn't care less whether you caused it, or somebody else caused it, or by circumstance it happened. God wants you and I out of the situation. So don't blame God. Number two, very important, make Self-pity, enemy number one. Make self-pity, enemy number one. Don't allow the spirit of self-pity to get hold of you. You and I, who've gone through a tragic situation, are very prone to say, really, poor me. Why me? Let me have a little pity party. Throwing a pity party will not help. It feels good, but it's like poison. It might taste good, but it'll kill you. Self-pity will kill you. Don't allow self-pity to get its hands on you. That's number two. Don't blame God, number one. Number three, walk in forgiveness. Walk in forgiveness. If your tragedy is the result of somebody else's activity, you have to, have to, have to forgive. If you do not, you will not get out of it. I remember in the hospital one day, I was standing by the bedside of a child that had been in a horrific accident. To all intents and purposes, there was no hope for this child. And on the other side of the bed was a man, obviously the father. And I said, I've come to pray for your child. And I said, what is the situation? This is a car accident. And you know what? The Holy Spirit said to me, you must tell this man that he has to forgive. I said to him, listen, I don't know the circumstances, but whatever happened, you have to, have to, have to forgive. He looked at me, sort of stunned, 
for a few seconds, and then he collapsed and started crying to Gerard. Gerard. What had actually happened is somebody from, let's say, another race group had turned their bucky right across the road and he'd gone, T-boned it, without any indication. You have to, have to forgive. If he doesn't forgive, you know what happens? The healing power that's available for his son is cut off. And although in our human nature we like to hold and hate, it won't help us. Once again, it's like eating poison and hoping it will kill somebody else. So you have to. We have to walk in forgiveness. And sometimes that forgiveness might be very similar to number one. We have to ask, please, Lord, I can't hold this against you. It's not your fault. That's number three. This is the way to get out. Number four, decide to be a blessing. Decide to be a blessing. If you are in an environment where you are disadvantaged, the easiest thing to do is to expect everybody now to self-pity you. Shame. Shame. And some people actually don't want to get well. You know that. Because they're enjoying the sympathy they get from being disabled. It might sound sick to you, but that's the human spirit. Listen, no matter what your condition is, decide to be a blessing. Anybody who comes your way, encourage them. Encourage them. Have a good word to say about them. Have some, do whatever you can, no matter how limited it is, do whatever you can to help other people. Have this mentality. Develop it. Becomes a way of life, actually. A man born, I think it was thalidomide, I don't know, but with shriveled stumps for legs and arms. And here he is going and being a motivational speaker throughout the world. But please, people... He could have so easily, so easily got bitter and twisted. And you see, the way to get bitter and twisted is to have this mentality. Here I am, I'm in a bad position. Everybody owes me something. It's human nature to think that way. Fight that off and say, no, I owe everybody else something. Powerful, powerful way of about it. The other conditions also apply. Stay connected. Number five, know that God does not have plan B. Please understand God does not have plan B. What is plan B? Oh, my original plan B hasn't worked, so now you're going to have to have second-class existence. Let me tell you something about the majesty of God's intellect. He does not have plan B. No matter what has happened to you and I, if you and I have the right attitude, God turns our situation into plan A. Every time. Every single time. How many people do you and I know that went off the rails completely, made a complete mess of their lives, and then they got saved? And then God came into their lives. What does God do? Uses them to help other people that are going the same way to avoid the mistakes they made. God does not have plan B. If you and I have the right attitude, our situation, no matter what it is, gets turned from plan B to plan A. So don't think, oh, it's all over now. I've messed up too bad, or this has happened to me, or this tragedy, it's over. No, it's not. It's not. God does not have plan B. We have to have that in our mind. God does not have plan B. Have the right attitude, he turns whatever the situation is into plan A. And the Bible is full of examples like that. Look at Paul the Apostle. There he was actually, suggestion is he might have even been a murderer, but he was against the church of God. He was trying to destroy the church of God. God met him and turned plan B into plan A. Not over till it's over. I'm almost finished. Number six. Number six is dig deep. Number six is dig deep. When you and I are in difficult situations, you know what happens? It makes us look into the Bible in a way that we wouldn't have looked otherwise. You see, if you're in a situation where you've had a tragedy and things aren't going all that well for you, turn the frustration into a search. Turn the frustration into the search. The answer is in there. The answer is in the Word. God has got the answer to your problem. But you might have to dig for it. You might have to dig for it. And don't expect other people to give you the way out. Because very often what people will do is say something to you that they think makes you feel better. For example, they accuse the faith message of people being in denial. So when we say, I'm healed by stripes, all intents and purposes, wrapped with some form of sickness. Oh, you're in denial. No, we're not in denial. We're not denying the fact that the sickness is there, but we're denying the right for that sickness to affect us. We're denying its right to determine how we will live. Dig deep. Find the answers for yourself. And when you find them for yourself, God will empower you. He will use your situation to make you a more powerful person. Look at Kenneth Hagin. Born with two life-destructing diseases. Two. 
no disease heart. What did he do? He knew his help wasn't going to come from the church of the day. So what did he get his mind into? The Bible, right? The Word of God. He eventually was healed totally. A. He lived to the age of 93, by the way. Every year in full health. Preached all over the world. And is known as our father of faith. He understood things that I'm even teaching today. Because why? In this situation, he refused to roll over and play dead. He got into the Bible. He found answers that God had for him for himself. And he used the frustration of his situation to propel him deeper. Brothers and sisters, when you and I are in difficult situations, don't just get frustrated. Use the frustration to dig deeper. Dig deep. Dig deep. You're hearing me this morning. I know God's speaking through me. Dig deep. Don't say, oh, God's not on my side. Get all self-pitious and throw the Bible away. That's exactly what the devil wants. Let me tell you, get into the word deeper. And don't necessarily listen to other people. Find out what God is saying to you for yourself in your situation. Because he's got a way out. And the final thing I need to say is this. Please, 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 whatever you do, whatever you do, believe for your miracle. Believe for your miracle. Don't let anybody come and talk you out of it. You might be in a wheelchair. To all intents and purposes, paraplegic. Not a good place to be. What will people generally come and say? You have to get used to this. We're not saying that you mustn't make the most of your situation. We're not saying that you're living in Kaskakoo land. But whatever you do, don't lose sight of the miracle. Don't give up on God's miracle. Don't do it. There was a little girl by the name of Betty Maltz. She was born with spine of the feet. I'm going to close with this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful testimony. As a little girl, she only knew pain. Unable to play like other children. Bedridden to all intents and purposes. Bent very much double. Her whole spinal column in total disarray. As a little girl, she had to live with this. Doctors and doctors and doctors, and none of them could really help. None of them could really help. But she believed in Jesus. She believed in Jesus. And her mother also believed with her. And her mother prayed for her as well. And she held on for a miracle. Did you know that? She held on for a miracle. One day the Lord Jesus came and spoke to her and said, On this certain day, do you know what she said to her family? Please buy me a dress. I want to wear it on this day. She had never worn a dress ever in her life. Her body could not put a dress on. And do you know what the family thought? The family thought that she was preparing to be. The mother believed. The story goes on. The day came. Do you know what? She had a vision. I don't know the full story. But eventually Jesus appeared to her. And do you know what he said? Because you have been kind in your situation. Because you have been good. And apparently such love came out of his eyes. Because you have trusted me. Today I'm going to heal you. Put his hands on her. And just like in the Bible, all those sinews, all those nerve endings, all those bones just started to crackle and crackle and crackle. And she came totally healed. Totally healed. No sickness, no pain. And she was able to put on her dress. Can you imagine the day and have dinner with everybody else? And she went from there to preach the gospel throughout the world. And that was in an age where people did not believe in miracles. It's such a moving testimony. So listen. Brothers and sisters, you and I do not have to put up with tragedy, but there are conditions. If tragedy has come your way, there's a way out. Don't you think our God is good? Don't you think our God is good? And what God wants is for you and I to live above tragedy so that we are a testimony. A people living on a hill. In all the world, as things get worse, imagine living in Syria now. Imagine living in that situation now. It would be nice to know, wouldn't it, that thousands will fall on their hand? And 10,000, so you get up in the morning and there's all this fighting going on. You walk to the shops and the thousand fall over this side. And you carry another 10,000. You go and buy your milk and you say, another day with God. Thank God for you, the protection of the blood. It says there, no evil will come near your tent. No plague will come near you. It's a promise from God. Why is he lying to us? Is our father a liar? If he's a liar, don't want to serve him. But it is a fight. Fight, a good fighter. Know the conditions. Push in and enjoy the blessing. It's that simple.